Hi, I'm Emily Ladau. And I'm Kyle Kachadorian. And you're listening to another episode of The Accessible Stall. What are we going to talk about today, Emily? So, I think we agreed upon an episode topic in the past episode. Is that right? My short-term memory is legitimately shot. It is, yeah. We we sort of stumbled upon it by accident, like we often do with our topics, and decided that it would be best at its own episode. And here is that episode. So, yeah, we're going to talk about when it first came into our consciousness that we are disabled. And quite frankly, this is a level of self-awareness that I'm not prepared to grapple with. But alas, here we go. The last time we had this much um, lack of a self lack of self awareness was the gender episode. So strap in, everybody. The gender episode was such a good one. Are we allowed to say that? I think so. I felt like that was such a solid conversation, and I don't mean that in like a sense of patting ourselves on the back. I just mean that. As hard as it is for me to be a self-aware person, sometimes it's nice to pick apart things that have been bubbling under the surface of my brain for a while. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think that this is going to be really fun to make. Can I also, before we get into it, just shout out the fact that we are recording this after the election results have been announced so uh, the sky's a little bluer around here. How is it in Seattle? Feels good, man. Feels real good. Virtual high fives, everyone. <laughs> Insert high five sound here. <laughs> All right. That's enough procrastinating. Time for me to dig deep into my psyche and figure out when I first became conscious of disability. But you know what? I don't have an answer to that. I find that interesting because your mother is disabled. So whether you knew it or not, it was always there. But to me, that means to me, I like logically to me, it follows that you would be you would be more aware of it than someone like me who had to like learn it because at least you had a direct influence in your life literally from day one. So even if you didn't know what it was called or even if you didn't know why it might have made you feel differently, it was always there. Or am I wrong? Like, is that? No, you're right. But the thing is that I don't think that I was even conscious of the fact that my mom had a disability really for a little while when I was younger. And in thinking about it, the first time that I can remember now that I think about it, um, being presented with disability was, I think the day before kindergarten, I met a classmate of mine and her brother was disabled. Although maybe he wasn't even alive at that time. Maybe he was just a baby. Maybe this is all in my head and I'm making this up. To be quite honest with you, I was definitely aware of disability in my young mind well before I have memories of it. But there's video evidence of it. What kind? How so? 
Oh, so there's this video that we did. I think I was three years old, three or four. And um, my orthopedist worked for a med school or a teaching hospital or something. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to talk about Larson syndrome with me and my mom as examples for her students. And so she tried to give a lecture to her students on videotape and my mom tried to say a bunch of intelligent things. And then I insisted on explaining as much of my disability as I could. That's extremely on brand. I mean, that's, that's I what have you do. the video and I could show it to you, but then I'd probably have to kill you. Uh, I it's really funny. Risk. It's really um, funny. That's interesting. I, don't remember when I first heard the phrase cerebral palsy. I'm almost sure that it wasn't my parents who told me the, that phrase. Like they, yeah, I mean, I know they knew, but I don't know if they were the first people to break the news to me. I think I learned that some point in preschool or maybe even nursery school because I also went to special nursery school. You know, this makes me think that there were two separate concepts to learn. One is disability in general, and one is your particular diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, and I almost feel like I knew my diagnosis before I understood that there was a world out there of disabled people. I think that's got to be true for me, too. And I think that would be true for most disabled people, right? Because like you, because it, it would, because you learn about yourself and you learn about what your particular disability is called and how it affects you. And then, like, as you get older, you realize that, you know, there's a big old world out there and there's other people like me in it. Yeah, disability to me is a big, broad concept, whereas I understood that I had Larson syndrome and that meant that I was different. Right, but you didn't put two and two together. You didn't say, like, you, you didn't think that Larson syndrome equaled being disabled. Yeah, and I don't think it was because my mom ever projected there being something wrong with being disabled, but right. I just don't know when I first heard that word. I don't know when I first heard Larson syndrome either. I just know that it was something I was much more familiar with. It, and it's so weird because I went to Viscardi. I mean, everyone knows that. We say it like seven times per episode, but like there <laughs> – looking back, it's like obvious, but like, I remember as a kid wondering like why they always hammered into our heads that we shouldn't say I can't, but it's also that it's like not bad to ask for help. You know, just common like disability rhetoric that you tell kids like little, little children, you know, obviously that those phrases are, are too generalized to apply to adults really, but it was weird to me at the time. Because even though I knew that I was different and I knew that everyone around me was also different and some of them, you know, it was, it was very obviously, it, it was a very obvious physical difference. So it's not like I assumed that everyone was just like me. It's just that I knew that everyone around me was some kind of different and I was this kind of different. Yeah, that's an experience I didn't have right away. I think the first time that I really understood there were lots of different disabilities uh, was summer camp. 
And that started for me when I was seven. I went for a week and I mean, I was homesick and miserable the whole time. Don't remember too much of it, but I do know there were other disabled people there. What sticks with me, and I don't remember how old I was, but I I remember meeting one of my good high school friends. We're not in touch anymore, but in kindergarten, and he had cerebral palsy. And I don't remember if I knew that phrase at five years old. I feel like I did, because the reason it sticks out to me was because I distinctly remember feeling like, you know, oh, he can't possibly have that. That's what I have. And look, he's so much different than me. Uh, this was a kid who um, couldn't speak that well and used a power wheelchair and couldn't walk. And here I was doing all of those things, well, not using a wheelchair, but like, you know, it just didn't compute that we couldn't possibly have the same diagnosis. And I think, like, I have that feeling, so I must have known at five years old that phrase. Do you get a jolt of excitement when you see someone with CP who, like, very clearly probably has it? Or when you meet someone or when you learn that someone has CP? Absolutely. All the time. Which is funny because it's pretty common. And not just in disability spaces like it's a pretty common diagnosis as far as childhood diagnoses go but even now like yeah still every time that's exactly what I was getting at though with it being common because for me Larson's is so rare that I've only met I think two people I'm not no maybe like four people I'm not related to who have it like in real life, I've definitely video chatted with more, but I'm talking like IRL meetings. Um, and so it was to the point where I met someone who actually works for the umbrella organization of one of my jobs, and she has Larson syndrome. And I flipped out when I met her. I was like, you're a me. You're me. You look like me. Your thumbs look like mine. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for me, if that was, you know, like the literal first time I had ever met someone with Larson's in the wild where it wasn't like a planned meeting. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. So, and this just happened a few years ago. Um, it was amazing. I was thrilled. Um, you know, and then every once in a while, someone who has it will get in touch with me. Like I got a message on Instagram uh, from a woman in Brazil who said that she has it and she clearly does because they're common facial features. Um, and then she was like, yeah, I've never met anybody like me, you know? So I feel, and maybe this is getting off track of disability consciousness, but for me, a big part of it was like not being presented with a whole lot of other examples. When I lived in Washington, oh, I got to stop saying that when I lived in DC, when I lived in DC, the friend that I stayed with has similar CP to me. And she was in her mid thirties at the time. She's in her early forties now. But I remember that she told me that she had never met anybody with CP like her until that day. That's right. Me. Yeah. And I'm like, how are you 35 and have never met somebody like us? 
meanwhile, I didn't realize, like, I was speaking from an immense place. I, is it privilege? I don't even know. Like, an immense, I guess so, an immense place of privilege because I knew a handful of people that have CP exactly like me. And not only that, I still get happy as a pig and shit when I meet one. I can't imagine <laughs> what she must have felt. It's a level of visibility. Even if the disability is not visible, I'm talking about it more from the point of being seen, feeling seen. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I don't take for granted because it rarely happens to me. And that has a lot to do with my disability identity. You know, I I had to forge it on my own even though I had my mom as a role model, you know, our experiences were so different. We talked about this in a much earlier episode, I think, like pre-ADA and post-ADA, but it's true. Like, I was coming up in a different world, so my process of figuring it out was going to be different. I remember when I was a very young child, and which means that my sister was also a very young child. I think I was maybe nine at the oldest, maybe probably a little bit younger. And she was talking to one of her friends on on the phone, like a, like a landline for you youngins. <laughs> and she told her friend uh, that I was disabled. And I had that memory is burned into my brain. Because I was so embarrassed that she could tell her that because and not because I was embarrassed. It was just like, hey, man, that's personal. And obviously, like, she's six years old. She's not, you know, who cares? Like, she doesn't know any better. But, like, that was the first time that I realized that other people, like, will will judge you when they hear that word. That's when I first learned that. And this friend wasn't even in the room. She was on the phone, you know? I was a child. Th- you know, and you know, people sometimes will, like, wonder why disability activists do what they do. That's why. Because I grew up in the ideal environment. To, to be loved and accepted and everything. And I was, and I still felt that embarrassment. It was unreal. And it's even weirder to, to like bring it up now as an adult and realize all that. It's such a valid point though, because I think I also had a lot of times where if it, it was explicitly or directly named that I was disabled, it was an embarrassment for me. I mean, now it's like, <laughs> yep, you're right. I am cool. But it took me a really long time to get there. And I really tried very hard to disassociate from that. And, you know, obviously a little kid doesn't realize um, the politics of identity. But it's funny because I could turn it on and turn it off. Even though I could never hide my disability, even though it was always visible, there were times when I did what I could to pretend it wasn't there. And then there were times when I knew I had to turn it up and turn it on. I had times like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely also have had experiences like that. But now that I'm like digging really deep into my like early memories, I, you know, I told you what I just told you with my friends, with my sister's friend, And then, but also at the exact same point in my life, you know, my dad, like, put custom pedals on my bicycle and put training wheels on it so that I could ride a bike. 
and I looked like a rolling circus. I mean, it was weird looking because it wasn't just it wasn't just training wheels. It was like physical therapy pedals and I needed them and I didn't care. I didn't care about any of that. I was just happy to be riding a bike and kids would stare at me and I didn't even wonder why. I thought they thought I looked cool with my flame uh, handlebar protector and my blue training wheels, you know, but it's funny because like I had such you know, visceral embarrassment at that word. And yet at a very similar point in my life, give or take a year, I also did not care about looking disabled. You know what I mean? Like it was so, it's so weird. Yeah. It was conceptual for me, not visual. Absolutely. Exactly. It's exactly right. Because I think that there was some kind of shame associated with it and the concept of it. And I suppose that was, pretty quickly passed on to me by the world. But I also don't think I spent enough time, you know, to, to be very literal about it, staring at myself in a mirror and watching the ways in which my body was different. I mean, I still catch myself in the mirror sometimes when I'm doing something or on the camera when I'm doing something and you can see like my hands don't move exactly the same way as a non-disabled person. And I, I'm like very conscious of it when I'm watching it back at me. Me too. When if I'll oh, forget it. If I sometimes very rarely, um, but sometimes I'll catch in my periphery, my reflection in the glass of a building and I'll be like, Ugh, who is that? Like I just, <laughs> it's so like you. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't like have low self-esteem or no confidence or any of that. Like, I don't care. But like when I see it, it's like, what is that? That's me? Like, it's so weird. Yeah. When you're presented with it, it's it's an interesting feeling. But it's also, it's funny because I have a, a very similar bike related story. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, even, not even so much kid related, but... Um, when I was little, I had this bike called the Step and Go. It was for kids who couldn't pedal. Uh, so you just stepped up and down on it, and that's what made it move. So it was basically like a stationary stepper, except turned into a bike. Oh, wow. I wish I, like, that would have been something that I probably could have ridden as a kid. But it looked like a massive adult-sized contraption compared to the cute little you know, bikes and trikes that all the little kids were riding. But the point is that I actually used to get a lot of comments just from people driving down the street. Um, So like I would take it out with my physical therapist and then an adult would be, obviously an adult would be driving down the street and they'd open up their window and have a comment about it, you know? And to me, I was just like, oh, they think my bike is cool. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how do you, yeah. And Man, and I'm just thinking all the way back now. Like, I used to have an in-home occupational therapist come to my house and, like, meet my parents and my grandparents. And it was just normal. It was just everyone did that, clearly. That's just Miss Carol. She she helps me do stuff, you know? Like, but it's not, you know? And there's pictures of me and her, and we're just, like, she's, she like, she met my family. And it's, like, that, like... Thinking back on it, it's like so weird because I just thought that that was how every kid, like every kid had a Miss Carol. Everyone goes to therapy. Everybody. And meanwhile, I learned way too late that like, in fact, nobody goes to physical therapy or occupational therapy unless you're injured or something. 
Yeah. I mean, I've had in-home PT since I was a baby. So yeah, that was like the norm for me too. I also had occupational therapy too for quite a while. And that was like a normal part of my after-school routine. But believe it or not, you saying Miss Carol brought up another instance of embarrassment for me because my Miss Carol was my paraprofessional um, in elementary school and um, in uh, middle school a little bit. And I had finally gotten rid of a para by the time I hit high school, but she sometimes would help me to and from the bus. Uh, And oh my God, this woman, I'm not exaggerating. Like I know sometimes people use hyperbole to explain someone that they hate. Um, This woman haunts my nightmares about once or twice a week. She is just in every dream I seem to have. She's just there. I hate her so much. And is her I, name actually Miss Carol? It is Miss Carol. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's Miss Carol. Like she, she is my nightmare fuel. She was this older lady with poofy black hair, too much makeup. She would wear these skin tight animal print dresses and high heels and chunky jewelry. And she looked like your inappropriate grandma mm-hmm. rather than you know, your nice person who helped you out at school. Like she was so ostentatious and she called so much attention to herself. And like, I know she was just another human being, but my God, she like devoted her life to mortifying me truly. Um, anyway, wow. I just got on a para rant here, but the point is that I started having paras in kindergarten. And so that was a huge, huge indicator to me of disability. Like, why doesn't everybody else have another human being who's watching them like a hawk all the time? No, but you see, I went to a place where everyone, I didn't need a parrot because there was always somebody watching everybody like a hawk all the time. I gotta be honest, that sounds like kind of a beautiful thing. At that age, it was. There's nothing more mortifying than having, like, a permanent grandma assigned to your ass. Yeah, I can't imagine. But I mean, there was plenty of that in my school also but the point i'm trying to make is eat like every part of my life for a vast majority of it disability was not only accepted but also totally normal i mean and i don't mean normal in the sense that like we typically use it i mean normalized i mean like as typical as the sky is blue you know that's how usual disability was to me and so and like the only non-disabled people that I knew what were my were my parents and maybe occasionally their friends, but like their friends were so close to me that they were basically family. So like, okay, it makes sense. No one in my family is disabled. Of course they're not because they're, they all take care of each other. And like, that made sense. But then my sister showed up and I'm like, okay, but well, you're not a caretaker. You're just my sister. Like, what, why aren't you, what, why aren't you different? You know? <laughs> and, and, and that's when I started to like, that's, I think that's when I started to realize that something was a little bit off. Like I said, like I'm going back and forth in my memories. But I also kind of realized that there's a statistically good chance that there are people who work as paraprofessionals or people who have had good experiences with paras who are listening to this. And um, I'm not trying to dump on all of you or dunk on all of you. 
I just personally had one that was nightmare fuel. I felt like I needed to add that disclaimer because I'm not trying to offend people. Um, Yeah, but I also am thinking about an event that I did when I was seven years old. My older cousin organized a disability awareness event at her school and invited me and my mom and we went and we talked about disability and we had this school newspapers article about it (laughs) where they quoted me as being the little cute seven-year-old kid who stole the show and I came up with some one-liner about how people stare but that's okay because they just want to understand you better or something that sounds incredibly Man. profound and adorable coming out of a seven-year-old's mouth. This was really in your blood from day one, wasn't it? Oh, I was born this way, yeah, in more ways than one. <laughs> but um, thinking back to that event, like, that was clearly a time where I turned it on. Yeah. Was clearly yeah, yeah. a time where I was like, I'm adorable and look at my walker and like, I don't know. And um, now that I'm like talking, now we're talking about turning it on. By the time I was a teenager, I obviously knew I was disabled. I knew what it was called. I knew how to ham it up. I knew how to turn it off. Like I knew how to do all that stuff, right? And I remember once my mom's car got towed because she like parked in a fire zone for like two seconds. And like she like nudged me. She was like, hey, 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 turn it up. <laughs> to try to get out of the ticket. It totally worked. This was like. <laughs> Yeah, this was like a million years ago. And I'm like, oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because um, I was, I think I've definitely gotten off a little easy being pulled over. Although, interestingly, the only two times I've been pulled over were not my fault. But both times, um, the disability immediately got them to walk away. And, uh, yeah, that, that really is a privileged story for another episode because that's interesting. That is not how disability works out for a lot of people, especially not people of color. But for me, um, I was able to, to turn it up. And I know, I know that is a privilege. It worked. It did say what you will about it um yeah i mean turning it off and turning it on is something i still do though i can't help it i i don't know if i turn it off and on i think i just like i don't i I don't know i i don't ever have to like look more disabled than i am in my day-to-day life Oh, that's not what I mean. I think I'm talking at this point, not so much about looking as I am about playing the concept up in general. So there are times where like... Oh, I mean, that that neither, you know, but... Okay, like if you're having a technically an access issue, you know, and it's not really going to make or break you, but it's still an access issue. And then you like play up the disability to like point out what an inconvenience it is. Oh, actually, I just did that like two weeks ago. (laughs) Did you? Sorry. Yeah, I was getting we uh, we were getting groceries delivered. Um, 
and the absolute genius of a of a delivery person delivered it to a different building in the complex to the same unit number. And so I I, I called the office and I was like, "Hey, can um can you get the groceries that someone else delivered wrong?" And they were like, "No." And I was like, "Well, that sucks because I can barely walk and my girlfriend's blind, so now can you now can you do it?" <laughs> And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and the thing was, it wasn't just, it was like a truckload of groceries. It wasn't just a one bag either. I'm just, I'm just laughing so much because the, <laughs> the amount of times that I have done that. No, I mean, hey, it's like one of the only perks we got. Like, come on. Okay. On a smaller scale. Um. In college, my roommate and I would always try to, like, outdo each other to get in bed first so that we wouldn't have to be the one to turn off the light. And um, one night we both got into bed and then realized that the light was on and we were arguing who was going to go get it. And I finally looked right at her and I said, you are so nimble of leg and I am disabled. She was like, oh, man. You played the disabled card. I cannot argue with that. And then she got up and turned off the light. There you go. Look, I'm not a fan of pulling the card, okay? But sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you just have to. (laughs) And if anyone listening here disagrees with me, I don't believe you. I think you've also done it. So anyway, that's why being conscious of your disability from the youngest age possible is a really good thing, because then you can pull the card as often as you want. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, clearly I'm, like, cracking up over here, but, you know, this is really real. Like, yeah, once you develop comfort with your identity, <laughs> you can you can turn it down and and turn it up and quite honestly sometimes that's very problematic like I feel like in all seriousness I have to sometimes downplay my physical disability because people judge me cognitively which is based on their own stigma around disability which is really inappropriate yeah Yeah. so there's that too right sometimes you have to downplay it because People have stigma that's completely inaccurate and completely unfair and pits one disability against another. And so turning that on and off is a skill, unfortunately. You know, it's funny. I said before that I can't think of a time when I would turn it off, but I totally can now that you said that. And that is in every job interview I've ever had, even at disability orgs, man. I just, you do it. You just do it. I know that you can't because you come with a wheelchair, but like, but I can, and I feel terrible every time I do it. But I got to tell you, everybody, and I hate to say this, but it works. And I hate that it works. I really do. I mean, I truly do. I know that we're all laughing, and I, but I want you to know I like really don't like that it works at all. But boy, does it. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It's a, again, it goes back to a privilege that we have that not everybody has. And also, you know, 
I think it's a combination of our own internalized ableism and other people's ableism that sometimes makes it feel like it's a necessity to turn it up or down. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I have no problem, and I mean this too, exploiting other people's ableism for my own benefit. None. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I I mean, you already hate me, so like, I don't really care that I'm somehow being unfair to you at some level. Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but like, you know. I'm now envisioning like, a t-shirt, like a, a shirt that says, um, I'm exploiting you for what is what did you say about ableism? I don't mind exploiting you for your ableism. Or because of it. I don't remember what I said. Because but of yeah. your ableism. Clearly, I'm not very good at coming up with t-shirt ideas, but, you know. Yeah, I am finally comfortable in my own skin, for the most part. It took a while to get here, but it's funny because in some ways, I think I was more comfortable in my own skin when I was a little kid. And then all of a sudden, society crashes down on you and gives you a deeper consciousness of why you should hate yourself. So then you hate yourself for a while and you decide that disability is something that you need to distance yourself from at any cost. And then all of a sudden you swing back in the other direction, depending on the environment that you surround yourself with. You see, like I, I've never, I've never hated myself because of my disability. Like I've never, like that, that boat sailed right past me. And I really sometimes, and I don't mean this how it sounds, but I almost feel like I don't belong in the community sometimes because it seems like that's almost something that you have to do in order to be fully understood by the people around you. Now, I don't mean that. And, you know, I just mean that broadly speaking, I find that most of the disabled people that we that we know and that like are really powerful activists have all have a similar story at some point where, you know, they, you know, don't like themselves and then they slowly realize that they do. I don't have that. And I feel bad about it, question mark. Like, I don't know why I, you know, I don't feel like I don't feel like I should have had that. But I do feel like there's a part of it that like that part of the experience that so many disabled people have, I just skip me. It's very, I don't know. That's a societal issue though, in a way, if you flip the I know, I, yeah. a little bit. Because I mean, it's like disabled people are expected to turn into these self-loathing, self-hating, mm-hmm. you know, individuals. And it's almost like a rite of passage. And having that opportunity to completely bypass that should actually be the norm, but it's not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that it, that it is a privilege for sure, but there's just something about it. Like, I don't wish I had done it, but. No, I actually, I'm saying, I think that it sucks that you even have to acknowledge that as a privilege because oh, that, sure. point, Absolutely. that yeah. points out that we live in a world where the normal thing is to hate yourself. It is just assumed that you hate yourself because you are disabled. Man, I don't think that uh, we answered the question we set out to ask um, at all, but that is the case with the accessible stall. Um, when did you first become conscious of disability? The answer is, I don't know. 
when did you first become conscious that your disability and it could lead to like was like serious you know what i mean like cp can be very serious and i don't remember when exactly it was that i learned that i got real lucky but i remember feeling pretty bad about that for a minute wow you waited until almost 40 minutes into the episode to drop this that's, bomb that's how we do it <laughs> Um, really great question. So I had a lot of surgeries when I was a baby and I don't remember any of them. Um, the first surgery that I have the vaguest recollection of is four years old. I had a cleft palate repair and, um, I, I think that I was able to sort of avoid feeling that particular fear, you know, of the intensity of my disability, for a while because I was just too young to remember. And then I think um, there was always this threat of surgery hanging over my head, whether it was fix this or fix this. I remember when I was like seven or eight years old, I was scheduled for surgery and it was right around my birthday and the doctor changed her mind and she canceled it. And that was, I remember that feeling like a birthday gift. Um, you know, and then I guess like I had more surgeries when I was older and obviously I was much more conscious of the dangers, but I, I don't remember when I first really started grappling with it in any real way. I mean, like there are people with Larson syndrome who have heart conditions. I know of someone who had a baby who died because of it. So I know, you know, it all things considered my case is more quote unquote mild, but um, yeah, there was this threat always that I would become paralyzed and, you know, not that paralysis itself is a bad thing, but it was just a threat of my body changing suddenly. And is that still a threat? No, because I had surgery to correct that oh, issue I when I was 17. But the thing is, that the surgery could have killed me also. So it was like, that was when I think I really realized like, oh my God, you know, there's some yeah. life or death shit happening here. Mm -hmm. That was a long answer. What's your answer? No, I don't have one. I really, I'm glad you said, because like, I don't remember how old I was, but it was probably too old to, to ask this question to your mom. But it was like, I, I remember asking her like, hey, like if they could, they doctors if doctors could amputate my legs and give me like oscar pistorius like oh he's actually terrible but like some really cool prosthetic legs would i you know walk correctly and she was like no no you would not this is in your you should know this you know and she was right i should have known that at that point but i didn't and i remember that feeling too i was like oh i can't get out of this even if i wanted to and like, I didn't want to at that age. I'm getting a little too old to keep saying that. Although I still, to today, I would still say I don't want to. But I remember that being like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's like right up there with you're going to die someday. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I did not like that feeling at all. That I remember that really well. Yeah, it's like you're in this for life. <laughs> but it never, it never bothered me up, up till that point. It was like. And I don't know why. I don't know why it never bothered me up to that point because I knew it was forever. But just like, oh, you, there's nothing you can do. It was like, oh, 
Hmm. Right, but that's also a good part of like making peace with your body in a way. Or oh yeah, absolutely. Process, maybe. No, I can I can <laughs> joke about it me. now, but like, yeah, now it's no big deal. But I just that feeling at the time was like, oof. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's like so. My mom, um, you know, is sort of it's like watching me, um, thirty years in advance or thirty years ahead, right? You know, she is aging and her body is changing and I am watching that happen live in real time. And, you know, just as my body is changing as I get older, um, I'm watching kind of how the effects of my disability coincide with the effects of aging. And so, you know, it's like I have a constant reminder of that in front of me. And my mom always says she's like, oh, I feel so bad. Like, I don't want you to, you know like witness all this and see what what you have in store and i'm like i don't care like is that true of... oh god sorry i was just gonna say i've kind of accepted the inevitability like my body will do what it will do i was gonna say isn't that a little beneficial because at least now you know what to expect like yeah. i imagine like as unfortunate as it is to see because it's your mom like at least you know oh okay as opposed to if it came at you, if you had nobody or if, you, if it didn't happen to your mom and it came at you by surprise. Yeah. And I mean, our disabilities, even though they're the same thing, affect us in different ways anyway. So right. like I stopped walking way younger than she did. Like she and she still walks sometimes, but she's largely transitioned to using a wheelchair, whereas I transitioned to using a wheelchair in third grade. So I was just like, well, this is this is my reality. And everyone around me, oh, here's one. It only took me like most of an hour to get to it. Um I got my first wheelchair, my first manual wheelchair in third grade. And um to everyone around me, like parents, doctors, whatever, it was like a big deal. It was some kind of like admitting defeat. And to me, I was just like, this is happening. Yeah, I, I felt that way about um, mobility aids when I used to use them. I just thought they were the coolest thing because they helped a lot. And I, I I, don't distinctly remember adults around me feeling that way, but I'm, I'm certain they must have. Not my parents, because they were cool, but, like, anyone around them, I, yeah, they probably felt exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, using a mobility aid is quitting or giving up or giving in. My dad had that for a little tiny bit of time, but I think once he saw uh, how advantageous it was for me to use them, he, he squashed that real quick. <laughs> you know, I think... Once he saw how crutches helped me, he was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get it. You know, as much as he could. Yeah. Parents, shout out to you all. Um, Any final takeaways? I mean, I wish I had a profound final takeaway, but I think that the only thing I'm certain of is that disability and identity is very fraught and confusing in so many ways and you know it's funny we didn't even talk about I know you just asked me for final takeaways but really quick um we didn't even talk about the fact that there are some parents that literally just don't tell their kid they're disabled at any point and I'm not saying like my parents did not sit down and have the talk with me the talk being 
like the you're disabled talk, but nor was it hidden for me. And I know in a lot of cases, parents like go out of their way to act like it's not a reality. And so I think I was trying to get at for my final takeaway that I was grateful that I grew up in a house where it wasn't like this big secret, but I also think that's a reality I needed to acknowledge. Absolutely. I didn't even, I'm sorry I asked you too soon, I guess, because you're absolutely right. I first met somebody whose parents did that to them, or I guess didn't do that to them very recently at the age of like, I mean, not too recently anymore, but I was 22. Like it, I was an adult and I, it was so like, how could they possibly hide that from you? You know, like I was mad for them who, and that person at that point had forgiven or maybe, you know, was, had accepted what happened. But just hearing that made me upset. I was like, how? Didn't you notice? The answer is no. You know? Sometimes you don't. And I I guess it was because the circumstances of them that they had very mild cerebral palsy, so they could just kind of play it off. But for some disabilities, you can't do that. And I can't imagine, like, I just can't imagine that. There was a guy. Wait, was it you? Oh, yeah, we were doing we were talking with some local NPR station just for a thing. And, and the the uh, person we were speaking with was telling us about a, a, a man who who found out he was blind, like way too late in life at like nine years old. This all feels familiar to me. And yeah, yeah. and he like, yeah, and it, we never got in touch with the guy, but it was like, I can't imagine because I grew up like you. They never sat me down and told me, but I always sort of knew. I can't imagine what I would have felt if it were actively hidden from me. That would have been, well, pretty impossible given where I went to school. But other than that, you know. Yeah, I'm, I guess I am grateful that I was not coddled in that way. Yeah. I think, honestly, one of the worst things you can do for your children is hide a part of their identity from them. But anyway now that I've just wrapped up with a value judgment on parenting. Um, yeah, really my final takeaway is that I'm still grappling with my disability identity in some ways all these years later, but I am overall lucky that, you know, I had so many opportunities to come into my own. And I think that's because even though I don't have a singular moment where I recognize disability coming into my consciousness. I know that it was never something that was avoided. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was by necessity. That was just my life. That was my reality. Um, but it was also not openly talked about in a way that made me feel shame for who I was. My final takeaway is listen to everything Emily says. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a little bit much. Sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, this one felt good. This felt like a good conversation that I wanted to have. Definitely. And I'm very interested to hear when other people first realized that they were disabled. Yes, yeah, send us a message if you uh, if you want to tell us your story, because I would really, really love to hear it personally. I'm sure Emily would too. I would. And on that note, this has been another episode of The Accessible Stall. I'm Kyle. I'm Emily. 
And might we say, you look good today. You look so good. That outfit you're wearing, that old quarantine sleep t-shirt with those stretchy sweatpants, you are nailing it. <laughs> I mean, I'm almost in that outfit. I I am in that outfit. <laughs> yeah. We love you all. Thanks for listening. See you next time.